Day 11 A few weeks ago, I believe the day our children were to be released for winter break, one of my daughter's teachers reached out to me. My daughter had made a comment that was of concern, and therefore the teacher wanted to bring it to Tony and I's attention. Over the years, because I am a better listener than I am a speaker, I have learned to be very observant. I have this ability, especially with my children. I know when things are off and out of place, and I know when they're not telling me the full story, whether emotionally, physically, or mentally. I cannot say that I've come to perfect this skill on my own. Rue does an awesome job with assisting me. Anyway, I approached my daughter on the matter and wasn't surprised by her reaction. It's who she's always been. So I let it go. But I wanted her to know that I was here for her and that she could always talk to somebody even if she didn't want to talk to me. Then a couple days later, we had her scheduled for a full mental evaluation. Now, full disclosure, is that she does have ADHD. But for a long time, I felt there was more to it than just that. But at the time, we had put her through so many drug trials and trying to help her that I figured it was just the drugs. However, after observing my son for a few years, the thought came back that my daughter didn't just have ADHD, but she also had signs of autism. After our son was officially diagnosed with autism, we knew we had to get our daughter re-evaluated if we were going to get her the help that she needed. Well, that test came back positive, and it came back that the severity of it was a level 3 meaning she was going to need to depend on somebody for her whole life. Even if that was so, I still believe my kid is bright. I have to remember that even though she's been given a label, it doesn't define who she is and who Papa has called her to be. I've seen my daughter do some pretty amazing things, and her courage has certainly inspired some changes in my life. However, going over the findings with Tony together, I came across a statement that, she had felt was true. She not only felt lonely, but she felt unloved by us as her family. I felt my heart sink. I tried not to let it get me down. I had so many questions, not only with that statement, but many other statements that she had made. First, I had to acknowledge the awesomeness of Papa God. He knew what he was doing. Having me go through 40 days of learning to love if I hadn't done that, I may not have been ready to face this. I may have been scrambling on what exactly did she mean she didn't feel loved and gone off a whole tangent of how I carried her for nine months and spent 24 hours in labor with her and yada, 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 yada. Thankfully, that was not my attitude. My attitude was, how do I show my kid who is autistic and battling loneliness and anxiety that she is loved by me? and that I am proud of her. I don't know, but I will find out, because I want to love her the way Papa loves me. Normally, a new year would meet a new me, but this year, I'd like to focus on being an improved me, and I'd like my family to be the first to witness these changes so they can give Papa all the glory. Years ago, my response to my daughter's being autistic would have been negative and ignorant and fearing what I didn't know or how society was trying to keep her down. But today, many years later, I wonder how can I help her to live a fulfilling life? 
and show her that she can cast all her anxieties on Jesus and that he's always near to the lonely and brokenhearted. And most importantly, that he loves her with such ferociousness that nothing, nothing at all will be able to separate her from his love. (laughs) Oh, he is showing her, isn't he? He's doing it while using me. Day 12 Today I had to avoid talking to everybody but Tony, just so I could work on recording and editing for this podcast. I know if I stopped to talk or text, I would get carried away and not complete the task. I'm a great procrastinator, and I also work great under pressure when there's a deadline. I'm glad that I was persistent in keeping to the task because I ended up having to scrap the first five recordings and re-record again. As much as I wanted to chat it up with my bestie and friends, I kept telling myself that I should at least send a text so no one would think that I was going through depression and therefore was reaching out to me out of concern. Sure enough, as evening began to settle upon me, Tony asked me how Lorray was doing. The only reason he may be asking is if she had reached out to him to make sure that I was okay. I went along with it and told him I'm sure she was well, but I haven't spoken to her because I was working on a deadline for the podcast. He then asked me what it was about. I told him I had started another journey, and this one was about speaking the truth for the next 40 days. You can imagine, that piqued his interest. Well, now that you have to speak the truth, he said, for 40 days, answer me this. Who's the better cook, me or your mom? I couldn't help but laugh. Tony's always got jokes. However, that did venture us to open the conversation as to why one may find it uncomfortable to speak the truth. Tony believed the truth will always hurt because it's like bitter medicine, he said. He also said he believed people lied because they were afraid of the other person's reaction. I'm not sure if I can agree that the truth will always hurt. I've been told the truth about things and it hasn't always hurt me, so I guess it depends on who you ask. So maybe always is a strong word to use. I do agree that I personally do fear the other person's reaction, and that is why I'm not always forthcoming. I have found that alone I tend to lie, but if I have someone with me as support, I feel more bolded and empowered to speak the truth. That was in the past. That's changed now. Now when I speak without processing, sometimes I just sound ignorant, naive, or just too blunt for my own good. So the million dollar question to Tony was this, how do I speak the truth with love and be encouraging? Tony's response was to speak the truth in love and be encouraging was two separate things. To speak the truth is just to say it, he said which is what I do, to just be blunt about it. When I think about the word blunt, I think about a blunt object. Blunt objects hurt and sometimes even kill. To speak the truth in love is to give context, Tony said. Tony used himself as an example 
by reminding me of a deodorant that he bought because he liked the scent. He knows that I like when he smells good, so he bought the deodorant to please me. However, it had the opposite effect. I mentioned to him that I didn't like the scent because it smelled more like chemicals and it bothered my nose when he wore it. He said, because I had told him in love and gave him the context, he threw it out. But if I had just told him bluntly that I didn't like it, he would have continued to wear it for himself. To add to that, I also believe that tone plays a part in speaking the full truth. Another thing I thought was interesting was Tony believed in telling little white lies. He gave the example of the lies we were told about Santa Claus until we came to understand the truth. Our parents told such lies because we didn't understand any better. Now, although I see his point in this, and I have done such things, I believe moving forward, if my children aren't able to understand or process what I'm doing, or for what purpose, then I will say, you're too young to understand this, or I'll tell you when you're older. Now, I also understand that may not satisfy their curiosity, or may not even process to understand. But when I think about it, there's been many times that Papa has withhold information from me and have simply said one phrase made up of two words, trust me. Because I know Papa's never lied to me before, it was easy to trust him. To be patient is another story. But trust, trust I can do. If I was to apply that to my parenting skills, could I say without a doubt that my children has known me to never lie to them and therefore they can trust me if I was to ask? The answer may be different depending on who you speak to. My younger one, who doesn't know any better and have come to rely on me for his needs, would say, I am trustworthy. My oldest, she may say the same thing, but my younger daughter, well, now, she made it clear on several occasions that she doesn't trust me at all. Is she serious about it? I take it seriously because I have seen her exercise that statement over two dozen times. So, this tells me that I have given her reasons not to trust me. I can only hope with prayer and change on my part, this journey will help me to be more trustworthy, not only with my children, but with all whom my path has and will cross. Day 13 Today while talking to my bestie, I found myself over-exaggerating an event that happened this morning. I had to stop myself and apologize to her, and then even after I had done so, I tried to replace that exaggeration with yet another lie, which I then had to apologize for. My first thought was, how ridiculous is this? Not the fact that I had to tell the truth, but how crazy accustomed that I was to exaggerating the truth that I struggled to tell it in its entirety. Also, when I think about it, I found that I was embellishing the truth because the event was funny and it made her laugh, and therefore it inspired me to add a little something extra to continuously making her laugh. I'm sure there was nothing wrong with that, 
and I could have just told her that I was kidding, but then I'd guess I'd have to tell her what part of it I was kidding her on. And then I'd have to go back and clarify. And I don't know, that just seems like that would cause confusion. Aha! A revelation moment. That is why I shouldn't lie. Lying causes confusion. And who is the father of confusion? The devil. For whatever reason, this triggered a memory. It reminds me of the time before the shutdown happened. The job that I worked at sent an email telling us if anybody was sick or coming down with anything or had a family member or been around anybody who was sick to not come in to work. I remember agreeing to the email by telling her I understood. Then a few days later, or maybe a week, I don't remember, I went into work. Now, I tend to get stuffy in the mornings, especially if the heat's been going all night. But I wasn't sure if this was the same stuffy I was feeling or if I was coming down with a cold. Instead of calling out to be safe, I went into work anyway, and I did it because I had been trained that I needed to give 24 hours notice to call out. When I went into work, I asked the receptionist to please block me off for a few days because I thought I might be coming down with something, but I wasn't sure, and it could be nothing. She said okay, but without my knowing, she had quickly told the owner, which then approached me on the matter. I can't completely remember what was said, but I remember lying to her because I didn't want to get the receptionist into trouble. But unfortunately, doing so not only got me sent home, but almost jeopardized the receptionist's job. See, she had told the manager one thing, and then I told her another. And because the manager didn't know who was telling the truth and didn't know who to trust, she sent me home to be safe. I felt bad and confessed, and because I had to do that, I felt ashamed that I lied to her in the first place. Feeling embarrassed, I called the office to apologize to the receptionist, and then decided to just quit altogether. Yeah, I know, it's the extremist in me. But when I think of it, isn't that what the enemy does? He makes me feel like I'm unworthy of forgiveness, that I should be ashamed and embarrassed and I should run away. It even made me feel that if I went back, I would be the talk of the office. People whispering behind my back as to what I did or worse, they might even approach me on it. It makes me want to hide in a corner and shrink away or be invisible. Hey, isn't that what sin does? Make us feel like we can't go back to God because we're too far gone or we've messed up too badly for God to see us through? I know for a fact that I've struggled with that feeling a lot. I feel such shame and guilt that I feel like I can't approach the throne. I have an Adam and Eve moment where I want to cover my shame and hide. In the past, if I wasn't careful, this certainly would have distanced me from Papa. But thank God, my Papa in all his glory and tenderness calls me to come to his throne, humbly and yet boldly because I'm in need. I was in need of freedom, of breaking free from the bondage of shame. The conversation then took a turn. I don't recall how we got to it, but we ended up talking about the young man who lost his life not too long ago. Lorraine, my bestie, was concerned about his salvation. She wondered if he had the opportunity to say yes to Jesus before he passed away. 
This was challenging for all of us because of his lifestyle, but I also figured it wasn't our business to know. I believe that Papa gave many chances to say yes to salvation and a chance to have eternal life, especially up to death. We couldn't allow our minds to ponder what ifs. What if the church tried harder to reach out? What if we had prayed harder? What if a number of things? The truth is, Papa God knows exactly what he's doing. He knows the number of hair on the young man's head. He knows how many days he had to live, and he knows whom to send and when to send to reach out. If we can't trust Papa to do his job, then who can we trust? Papa has the hardest job in the world, and yet he has managed it with ease, where I certainly would have failed miserably. Shoot, to have my children and husband relying on me is asking me to break under pressure. And yet, Papa does it so fluidly. Yes, a death is always devastating because someone is gone from this planet and will be missed. It's even more devastating at the thought that they may not have chosen Christ as their champion. But if he did, I'm sure if Papa wanted, he would reveal that to his mother in a dream. And if her son chose otherwise, Papa wouldn't lie to her about it by saying otherwise. Even in death, it may not be final. We don't completely understand the way death works. After all, Yah said we were all just sleeping until the great judgment day. Even then, if Papa wants, couldn't the offer of eternal life be extended? This is just my thinking. It doesn't completely say this in the Bible. However, the Bible does say in many passages that to die is like sleeping. It says so in Psalm 13 and Job 14 and a few others. I tried to encourage Lorraine the best that I could. We can't dwell on the what ifs, but instead move forward to what now? What can we do now? How do we comfort now? How do we spread the good news now? We hung up, reflecting on such questions. The key now would be to actually think upon those questions and then make an action plan. But if I was being honest with myself, I would think of this for a little bit, and then distractions of life would carry it away. However, knowing that I have to put this out there could help me to hold me responsible, and my action plan can always start with prayer. Later, after Tony ate his dinner, he called me over to show me something on his phone, as if the day couldn't be more strange and saddening. He showed me an article of a woman who was once a preacher at her church and was now making money stripping. I couldn't believe it. I didn't want to believe it. I asked him if this was legit. Was it possible that somebody was just using her face? After all, the world can be an ugly place and vengeance is around every corner. He showed me that multiple platforms were talking about it. In that moment, I felt such a sorrow that swept me. I needed to get away and be alone. I listened to some Haitian worship music and cried out to Papa. I let Rue speak on my behalf as I had no words to put to the deep sorrow I felt. Where were my comrades? Why did I feel alone? Where were the intercessors? Where was the praying church? I go through that sometimes, feeling as if I'm alone in a battle that's become overwhelming and I don't see my comrades. 
Even if I can't see them, I am reminded that Papa God is the God of angel armies. He goes before me, and he is behind me, and Yah is covering me while Rue fights beside me. As I rise, I pick up my shield, I put on my helmet, and I pick up my sword and my bow and arrow. I may feel down, and I may feel surrounded by the darkness, but as I look into the spirit, I see that I am surrounded by all who has gone before me, and the God that lives in me, well, he is roaring like the Lion of Judah that he is. Day 14 Somewhere in the wee hours of the night, I had a dream that shook me to my core. I got up to pray and shortly after I fell asleep, but the dream didn't leave me. I thought about it throughout the day. I called Lorraine to pray. This dream was a warning for me, and if I gather correctly, it might be the last. It's not the first time Papa has warned me to stop while I'm still ahead. And though I have taken the heed, the truth is, I'm in a bondage that needs to be broken. This bond cannot be broken with just mental, emotional, or spiritual strength. This is the kind of bondage that needs to be broken with fasting and prayer. Something that I very much struggle with. This thing that I've been combating needs to be combated with spiritual strategies. I need to go in with the mindset that this is war. And if I'm going to win this war, I'm going to need to be intentional. I'm going to need the board and prayer, lots and lots of prayer. This bondage that I'm talking about, I will keep between me and the board for now. I'd say it's private, but to say that makes it sound like I want to keep it a secret and secrets can be dangerous when I'm bounded to something that I don't completely understand. I've heard it called multiple names, soul ties, witchcraft, voodoo. It doesn't matter. What matters is... It needs to be broken and then spoken, shared so I can triumph over the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. I do not yet have a testimony, but I know the God that I serve. If I am faithful to be obedient, He is faithful to give me the final strength that I need to do what needs to be done and break free. It's just a matter of how bad do I want to be free. After that dream where Papa God showed me the cost, I want it badly enough to leave the past in the past for good. Some things were not meant to be brought into the presence or moved into the future. What a disservice that would be to my papa. When I sit back and reflect, I think, My God, how you rescued me from the life I used to live. I cannot help but give you praise. For more than 15 years, the enemy and his legion bullied me with fear. And I gave in because I wasn't aware. I wasn't aware of the power that raised Christ from the dead was the same power that I harnessed within. Time spent with you raised me to new levels. They say new levels equals new demons, yet their tactics haven't changed. But I have. I have taken up after you, a lioness who isn't afraid of what the darkness can do. For I know the power in which I flow through, it's true. You call me into your fields. I put my hands to the plow, and yet I'm looking back because I got something holding me down. So take the shackles off my feet so I can dance, because you're the one I need. 
to breathe, to eat, to sleep. And when I get weary of the battles, I find the strength that I need on my knees. I'm not perfect, but it's perfectly okay. Because in my imperfections is when I see your amazing grace. Every day I strive to live in repentance and thanksgiving and in humbleness. But every day I fall short of the way to live. Thank God, my God, you see me through the one who gave his blood for me, that I may live a life of abundance filled with treasures that I'm stacking up in heaven, and on earth I have peace. I may live here, but my spirit sits next to the throne, and when I'm free from this body and the Lord calls me home, I can only pray that I lived a life that will witness to others of all the faithful ways God worked in the life of a sister. God, when I think about how you rescued me from the life that I used to live, I cannot help but give you praise. Day 15 Today, Freddie and I was having a conversation, and I don't remember how we ended up talking about my revelation of parenthood and the possibility of why the children, more so the girls, didn't respect me as a parent. But he did admit that he found it to be true. As he had witnessed many times the girls being blatant in their speech towards me, that he found it to be downright disrespectful. I told him that moving forward, I would try to parent like he does. He discouraged that notion and instead encouraged me to find my own way and make my own discoveries of parenthood. He recommended starting with a mom that I knew and possibly aspired to be, even if it was a mom on TV. That made me nervous because the extremist in me. How can I still be a playful person and enforce the laws of the land? Was it too late for me because of the fact that I had gone so long being this kid and the girls wouldn't take me seriously? Man, I'm certainly going to need Papa for this. Background Information As I have been talking about with me and I'm such like a big kid, at heart I struggle with where the kid is ends and where the parenting begins sort of thing and so I think because I've just been so kind of laissez-faire that my kids tend to just walk all over me like they don't take me seriously they think I'm a joke and I'm sure they don't really mean to but this is the way they've known me for so long that I am now concerned about if I was to start enforcing rules or if I was to start getting strict or whatever that looks like. I'm not really sure, but that they would just not take me seriously. Now, full disclosure, I know a few episodes back, I talked about the reason why I was such a childlike person is because I was the oldest of five. And so I was this mini mommy that had to take care of these other four children. 
But the thing too is because of the environment that I was raised up in, when I had my own children, I took on that persona. I took on my my dad. I call him my old man because I don't even honestly want to call him my dad. But I took on that persona of the old man. And I found that I had such a rage within me that I was becoming him. We always worry about when we become parents to not become our parents, especially if they weren't the greatest parents. Now, I loved my mom and I don't remember her being so angry, but for whatever reason, I guess the negativity always sticks with you or it's what seeps in. That is what I was becoming. My daughter was so brave and so courageous that she actually had told the teacher that I was beating on her. I want to just clarify when I say beating on her, we're not talking like I'm punching her like fist. I'm just talking about getting a good old fashioned belt and giving her a spanking. But those spankings would just get out of control because again, the rage that I felt inside, it's like I lost control of myself and what was supposed to just be a discipline became a punishment. I remember clearly being called into the office and she told me, hey, listen, your daughter has just revealed this to us that we want you to understand that we take this thing very seriously. And should you ever lay another hand on her, you will not be seeing her again. So it was kind of like a threat and a warning. And I took it very seriously. And I think that's really what helped me on my way to freedom of breaking the cycle of what my old man had done to me and now I found me doing to my children. After that, I just said, okay, I was not going to spank them anymore. In fact, I was going to try to give myself a timeout. And so because of that, I somehow fell back into this place where the rage that I would feel within, I would not let it out. I already know what you're going to say. This is very unhealthy. Yes, it was very unhealthy. But at the time, no no guidance, no counselor. I didn't really know how to do that. And really the only person who honestly completely understood where I was coming from was Tony's dad. Because he also shared his experience that he was the child of an angry father who took his rage out on him and showed us all the bruises and um, the cigar holes that his father used him as an ashtray and the, like looking at his back and his back disfigured from like whips. That was just like, oh my God, I could potentially become this, like just lose myself so much so that I would do this to my child. And that just, that just scared me. So I honestly don't know how, but I fell back into just this, I'm going to be very chill. I'm going to try to figure out my feelings. I'm going to talk about them, which I'm, I was not used to doing. I was not used to talking about my feelings. I was used to writing a lot of it down. But Papa, over the years, over some time, started getting me not only to write them out, but to speak them out and to speak them out with him and to really express how I felt. And even if that meant saying cuss words, he encouraged it. <laughs> I know it sounds crazy, but I'm just telling you the truth. For a long time, he had me go several months, and I can't remember how long, but very, but several months 
without writing my feelings. I was not allowed to write. I almost want to say it was a whole year, if not like eight months, but it was a long time because I'm so used to journaling and and emptying myself out so that way I can deal with what is going on around me. But Papa didn't even want me to do that. He commanded me to not write them down, that I needed to speak them out. I had to speak them out. I had to speak to him about it. And if I needed to speak to the other person about it, I had to do so. But he wanted me to come to him first. So that way I had emptied myself out of the rage that I felt. And then I was better prepared to approach the other person and talk to them about it and what I was feeling and what was going on or how they made me feel and things like that. And so, wow, what a release, what therapy to be able to do that. And that just helped me so much that I just found myself in this state of relaxation, just laid back, chill, whatever. So much so that apparently parenting just kind of, I don't know, maybe it took a back seat somewhere or I just... um saw my kids in a different light and was just like, okay. Now, of course, my kids are not necessarily bad kids. I don't think there's really such thing as bad kids. Every now and then, they want to push the buttons and they want to test to see where they are on on the stretch pole. But truthfully, they've never really done a whole lot for me to be out of control. That was definitely in the beginning when, when they were younger that I was so out of control that I remember just even approaching them to give them a hug was terrifying for them because they were so afraid of me and not knowing if I was going to snap and lose it, you know? And so I'm so glad that the Lord just delivered me out of that. So now it's like, okay, Papa, how do I not be so laid back or how can I still be laid back, but still teach them to be respectful? And how can I also put the child side within me off to the side for a moment and be a parent and not necessarily be this kid or another sibling. So that is what I'm currently struggling with right now. If anything, I just would ask to please, please keep me in prayer. Thank you.